0: hello friends welcome to the show on today's episode we sat down with ross cobb owner winemaker of cobb wines where they are making super small production pinot chardonnay riesling at the highest quality i love these wines so much they speak for themselves but ross does a great job being a spokesperson i hope that you enjoy the show just as much as we enjoy doing it don't forget Whatever platform you're listening to us on, throw us a follow, like, comment, let us know what you think of the content, and we will see you on the next episode. Cheers. Cheers. Gentlemen, Ross, it is a pleasure Ross to have Cobb. you. Ross Cobb. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I just sat down. I know that you guys were opening wines, and I was over there messing with the uh, camera, and I have no idea what was poured actually over here, but I know that it's beautiful and i i know you have a riesling and i'm assuming that this is where we're at this is this is where we're starting this is the
1: riesling this is a 2019 riesling um from cole ranch which is a very unique appellation and vineyard designate it's in mendocino county so the next county north of me and um i'm in sonoma county on the sonoma coast and mendocino county has um has a vineyard that's called cole ranch that's been there since 1970 and there's Riesling, there's a bunch of alpine varieties that they've grafted over. There's some crazy 20 acre vineyard that's an Appalachian and a vineyard designate. There's no other vineyards around, so it is very unique. And uh, it's a dry style or dry uh, Riesling. So I, I ferment it cold and um, rack it clean, and then I transfer it to older, very, you know, seven, eight, ten year old. Um, chardonnay barrels that have been retired from mm. their life of chardonnay barrels and mm-hmm. i age the riesling in these barrels um for up to a year oh and wow so so you're getting kind of nice lift of lift from that being in a barrel and also has a little nice little broad mouth feel from the from the uh from the you know neutral barrel aging
0: and mm. mendocino what are you uh shooting for the bricks levels to be at on these wines
1: this is the last vineyard that i pick out of all of my you know super coastal Pinot Noir and Chardonnays that are the ones we'll have later three miles from the ocean this one is actually picked two weeks after so it's very late um very cold climate Mm. in Mendocino you've got the Anderson Valley which kind of runs north south east northwest out to you know the coast coast there yeah and about halfway down the valley you pop up over this this mountaintop over toward Ukiah and so it's up on this mountain up there and it's in this little bowl that's kind of northeast facing so super cold i uh had not worked with this particular vineyard until this bottling and really? uh and i was i'm just pleasantly surprised and even more pleasantly surprised as it's opened up and you know and bottle aged here now a year or two about two years now in bottle it's just getting more and more expressive it's got some of that petrol you know that you get from a nice riesling but then dry, completely yeah. bone dry, 0.0, zero, yeah, point zero dry. grams residual.
2: This should be a Florida beach wine. Like this should be the wine with some oysters, or you know, it has that really bright acidity uh, that you know. I think a lot of people think Riesling is, can be super cloying and like, yeah. you know, this is yeah. not. This is the exact opposite.
0: It's also not like uh, uh, super sharp either. It's nice and round. It's got some really nice complex notes to it. Uh, what's the case production on something like this? I think
1: I made like four hundred cases. Really? Total. Pretty all of my wines are between two hundred to four hundred cases. Maximum um, of all the cab wines is only about four thousand cases. 12, oh wow! Twelve packs. Um, but yeah, this Riesling's this um, dynamite. I had a friend come to me a couple months ago, and she's like, "Oh, I love Sauvignon Blanc." oh i wish there was more sauvignon blanc and i'm like well try this she's like oh this is great so it is kind of an alternate to mm-hmm. sauvignon blanc which is mm-hmm. kind of people have been similar to chardonnay people who come a little fatigued um but this is a great um expression of riesling yeah, but it has that crispness like a sauvignon blanc too
2: and uh mm. this you said the first time you used this vineyard not the first time you ever made riesling that's right, yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I heard you've been in this business for a while.
1: I have. i this is the this is a, a new vineyard that I I started buying fruit from, and I know the owner of the vineyard, Mike Lucia, who has a wonderful uh label. Um, uh, Mike Lucia uh, makes an outstanding wine from this vineyard as well. So he, um, he has um, uh, what's it, uh, What's I know I'm forgetting the name of his label. Stupid me. i bring him up and I'll not a whole lot name. in Anderson Valley though, right? But he he makes a, an excellent wine. It's um uh, ungrafted, I think it's called. I forget the name. Mm. He's he's a, he's a, a good good dude. Um, so yeah, so Riesling is relatively new to Cobb. I've started Cobb wines in two thousand one. Um, with the bottling that we'll have last, the, the Coastlands, Diane Cobb, which used to be an old vineyard designate for Will, William Sallium. Oh,
0: really? That's what
1: started me off in the the vineyard business in 89, planted this vineyard here. Um, and then I started Cobb Wines in 01. And then over the years, I, you know, 03, three years into it, I acquired the contract to the Rice Spivak Vineyard. And then later, this Docks Ranch Vineyard right next door to Coastlands. And... Uh, Yeah, so this is a, this is a great new vineyard um, add-on to Cobb Wines, but yeah, to answer your question, in 16, I started making a Vahnerberg Riesling, which is up in Anderson Valley, Mm -hmm. Um, deep end, right next to Rotor Estate, you know, Mm -hmm. right on the deep end Mm Navarro, kind of, uh, you know, that Northwest section of um, Anderson Valley. So that Vonnerberg was my first riesling under a cob label. I had been dabbling with some other, you know, friends' uh, labels, but um, this is the, the sixteen was the first year I made a riesling under a um, cob.
2: Yeah. How'd you get like? How did you like fall into this wine business? Was this something your family was in, or was this something that you know you just had in mind? You were going to do something like this in the, in the agricultural trade, or?
1: Yeah. So my um, my mother and father. Kind of as a second career. They, my mother um, Diane Cobb, the bottling's named after, um, is an artist and had a master's in art. And she had um, was a graphic artist and did magazine layout. There's a practical uh, winery and vineyard magazine that's still in print that she basically started uh, working with in the early '80s. So it's a it's an industry magazine where you you know you have equipment. You can look at destemmers and hmm. corkers and and vineyard rootstock technology and you know it's a very uh, geeky industry magazine very so nice. she did all the layout for that magazine she started off with the first mac you know apple with the first you know photoshop 1.00 <laughs> and learned you know arduously through that process of learning how to do graphic arts on a computer and so that was her first career and then she was able to work from home and do that and then she would run the tractor during the day so we ran we did all the vineyard uh, planting and um, and and management of the coastlands vineyard back in 89 my father also his her his career as a marine biologist and worked for an engineering company in the environmental department for 30 years and so at my age at 52 he decided I'm gonna plant a vineyard with my mother and they bought a bare piece of property which is now coastlands and planted Coastlands vineyard Started off with two or three acres and expanded it to 14 acres so it's all Pinot Noir it's at 1200 feet elevation three miles from the ocean. So you look down, you see Point Reyes, you can see the Farallon Islands on a clear, clear day. Mm. You can see Bodega Bay. You can see the white caps off the, the, the ocean kicking below. You can smell and feel that ocean kicking Excellent. up. And you can see the crab boats at night, you know, with our lights on. And you can see the Russian river mouth as... The, the white caps hit the the ex- exiting you know Coming Russian River so it's a very coastal beautiful spot uh, as you can imagine and so that's what got me into it I was you know a Brooks college student at UC Santa Cruz studying soil and agriculture and trying to do something that would be helpful in the in the family vineyard business that they had started and so I followed them up after college and I was working being broke college student and broke post-college. I was up there on the weekends whenever I, whenever they needed me, whenever I needed a few hundred bucks to pay my bills. And so I kind of got into it as a, a necessity um, financially and, it, and then I fell in love. I, I really, um, and I used my, my degree from UC Santa Cruz, which is agroecology and sustainable ag under mm-hmm. environmental studies. And then I got an emphasis on the living soil. So that was my last senior year, it was all soil science. So I kind of I followed my parents into this this crazy business. vineyard business and um, and then twelve years into the vineyard business we pulled back a couple blocks from William Selling Winery which we had been selling and still do, and um, started Cobb Wines. So kind of kind of not my parents' original plan was to start a winery.
2: So how many years has Cobb Wines been around?
1: Twenty-two years. Oh, awesome! Like, 01. Oh, god,
2: pretty much like twenty-two with mm-hmm. us in June here in this yeah. location. The best oh, year cool. to
1: start a winery was 2001. Yeah. They never, I never right. have to do math. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, there you we go.
2: Well, um, can we try the next step? And uh, yeah. here, I got to dump glass. From what to sure. Take. Can we move it on to the Chardonnay? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, so Chardonnay. Um, I'm a, a big Chardonnay fan. Um, worked at some 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 awesome um wineries over the years i was at you know ferrari chrono back in the day early on first job where i started a soil lab back in the 90s we made a lot of chardonnay all barrel fermented um i worked at bonnie dune where we made no chardonnay because Bo- randall graham was like <laughs> you know <laughs> everything but um but, but he um he was an amazing uh, mentor for me i worked there for uh, under a year but just learned an me- immense amount from randall graham cool, and man. then and then worked at William Solyum, and then we made you know ten barrels of Chardonnay. Now they probably make you know two hundred barrels of Chardonnay. But uh, we we started started um, in 98, 99, working with Bob Kerbal making the um, the William Solyum Chard and of course Pinot Noirs, and using my own family grapes. So Chardonnay has been a big part of my life. Um, and then from there, I was a winemaker at Flowers Winery post after uh, Greg Lafollette moved on to start his um, new ventures. Um, Hugh Chappelle and I took over as the winemakers at um, in uh, 2000 at Flowers, and we made some awesome Chardonnays there. So I learned a lot every year, learning more and more of the technique. So this is a result of all that, that knowledge. I also worked at Hirsch Winery, uh, Jasmine and David's winemaker for, um, for six years after Flowers. Those first 15 years were the first 15 years of Cobb. So that's kind of what started me off in 2000, 2001, was... Uh, Chardonnay, and Pinot, and then at that point I was pretty much focused on Pinot and Chard, and then now Riesling, you know, the the cool varietals, uh, climatically cool. Um,
0: <laughs> Did that just naturally come in yeah. the Riesling because of it being a cool climate yeah. and it
1: just? Yeah, and I fell in love with Riesling. I've been to Alsace. I've been, you know, traveled mm. all over the world. I've been to Burgundy as many times as you know, thirteen times. I've been all over Hungary and Bulgaria and Austria and Italy. And um, I kept, you know, I had access to a lot of other ferment and other varieties that I could go like, you know, ponder with this variety or Cab Franc or whatever, you know, up in the Loire and um, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Riesling became were the ones I was like, these are the ones that are mo- probably going to be most satisfying and, to, to make. And um, and so Riesling became really important because I was hiring interns when i was at flowers and hirsch and all the way through i always hired interns for three four months to come from all over the world from uruguay paraguay you know chile argentina all over europe um i've worked probably 50 countries uh, interns from 50 different countries and but a lot of the interns were from geisenheim university in germany really good technical university in your in uh, germany and these guys that's they just had a, a board, like a, a job board that just kind of revolved. And it was our, my name was always on there. Cause one person would just put it on and it just kept, it for so the last 15 years, I've hired probably 30 great now winemakers from Germany. And so every time they would bring a suitcase full of their Rieslings, you know, to share, Nice. so That's I fell awesome. in love with, you know, the false and the Mosul and the Rheingau and the Baden and all these different sub regions and uh, they, and, you know, regions of a, and, and so I, I learned what I love in a Riesling, but I also learned uh, a lot from them of how to make Riesling and they always tell, told me, Oh, you should make Riesling Ross. I'm like, yeah. yes. But finding <laughs> someone finding a vineyard like the Coal Ranch or the vonnerberg or now this new vineyard called Abigail's that we um that we grafted from Pinot to uh, Riesling, it's hard. Not most people plant Pinot Noir and Chardonnay second and Rieslings why why would anyone plant Riesling? Because the cost per ton right. as a grower is at the time it was like eight hundred bucks a ton and you could do know $5,000 a ton sale on Pinot Chardonnay maybe 3,000 a ton so finally started finding some Riesling vineyards and that's really why it took until 2016 is that for you to start actually Riesling.
2: searching for these or I mean do you have like leads from other people how does that work when you're trying to find something that you want to bring into your wine like something that's gonna make your wine better than the last one that you made
1: hmm. Making riesling or the salad making
2: just the, to find a vineyard yeah. where or somebody who has riesling that you want. It's it's all
1: word of mouth. I mean, most all my relationships are word of mouth. Every single one of them started with a phone call from someone saying, "Hey, I love your wines," or "I've heard you make blah blah blah," or "Would you?" Um, most of them personal referrals and relationships that I built. Um, but the rieslings and uh, there weren't that many. So when I saw riesling, I was like, "Wow!" And then I'd look at the climate, and I'd look at the microclimate, kind of knowing the the ridges on that Sonoma coast and Mendocino coast area I had a good idea of which microclimate would be appropriate for Riesling. And then I look at the soils, of course, that's important. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd kind of take a little dive in, maybe try it out for one year on a one year contract. And if it was just absurd, i fortunately, I've never bought a fruit that I couldn't bottle mm-hmm. because I was cautious. But, um, if I had that, you know, I try, try it out for one year and if the vineyard, really came through then i'd have an option usually I have a first option to get a contract rolling into it after you approve it so most of my relationship would like that you kind of start with a one year and then you roll into a three it. year, five year and then you're like oh i want a 10 year if it's you know monumental like this 13 year contract on oh, yeah. <laughs> or you own the vineyard which is a little more stable too but yeah they're they're all relationships and so the reason was hard to find people growing uh, because of the, the economics
2: i want to tell you This Chardonnay is so beautifully balanced. I love this Chardonnay. It is very good.
0: And and it's very interesting, these three grapes, right? Pinot, Chard, and Riesling. uh, The grapes that you produce are very expressive grapes, right? They're grapes that really the winemaker stamp comes across. Uh, Pinot, being as delicate as it is, you know, you really get uh, what the winemaker's putting out there. The soil is so important. Riesling, same idea. Chardonnay, you have... So many different expressions uh, from, you know, very light, crisp, minerality-driven to big butter bombs of Rombauer, right, Mm. and everything in between. Mm. So you, you really have these three grapes that you get to take and make your own. Yep. So these contracts that you're making or these deals that you're making even for one year, mm-hmm. that's a very important year yep. because they are so expressive. And yep. they are, uh, and before I forget about it, uh, the soil uh, composition, I know that that's very important, especially when it comes to something like raising across the board, anything. Um, what is the soil composition of the Riesling?
1: So Riesling, of course, we're, we've moved to the Chardonnay, but we're, I love this Riesling, so we're going to <laughs> keep diving into it, <laughs> diving back into the pool of Riesling. Um, the um, the soil, this is um, uh, Mendocino loam. Um, it's it's this kind of an old historic. Um, kind of lake bed kind of it says valley it's very flat so you could imagine at some point it was holding some water for you know maybe it was an old glacier top i don't know but it's it's got a lot of limestone in it it's actually a very unique site in mendocino that's got this kind of limestone like an old seabed that's been uplifted with the kind of pushing up of the continental plate sure um uh but yeah kind of a mendocino loan with with uh with uh with some of that uh, limestone it's 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 a killer vineyard and uh
2: how does the soil differ from that and this, where this Chardonnay is grown? So
1: then we're moving down from Mendocino down to H-, H. Clop Chardonnay, and I haven't talked about this vineyard, but this is a vineyard that's in the Sebastopol Hills, uh, Sonoma Coast, Appalachian. Um, it's very close to the Litteri Winery uh, winery site, which is you know, kind of those rolling Sebastopol Hills. It's about 500 foot elevation. It's a sandy loam soil um nice little slope um kind of a north northwest facing slope um the vineyard was an open piece of property 20 years ago the um lauren and and her father ted klopp uh, are very famous in the sebastopol area for planting chardonnay excuse me riesling i'm sorry I'm just We love jumping. Riesling too. I just keep yeah. going back to Riesling. <laughs> we love Riesling. That's <laughs> gonna be like glitch. Uh, so they the the Klops have planted historically some of the best Pinot Noir and Sauvignon Blanc. Huh. That's where I was getting. And um and they actually approached me fifteen years ago and said, We have this wonderful Pinot Noir site. It's, we grow for Costa Brown and we grow for, you know, mm-hmm. you know, other great Pinot Noir, Mary Edwards, Sauvignon Blanc mm-hmm. and Pinot Noir. The Laguna Ranch was very, you know, very famous Pinot Noir vineyards and Sauvignon Blanc. And they approached me and they said, we have this beautiful vineyard site and we want to plant Pinot Noir. We want someone to do a pre-plant agreement, which means I would agree to buy the fruit as soon as the vines are producing. So it's a long term. It's like five, six, seven years in advance. You mm-hmm. make this relationship. I countered to Lauren and Ted Klopp. And I said, if you plant Chardonnay clones, low yielding, low moderate yielding, highest quality clones that we can find collectively, I'll pay you Pinot Noir prices. Going back to the economics, I said, I'll pay you $5,000 a ton. You to know, I'm not going to tell you how much I pay for this That's sure. private, but I'll pay you $5,000 a ton, and if you plant Chardonnay. And they said, you can't argue with that. So now, 15 years later, we've got this beautiful Chardonnay vineyard with these Mount Eden clone and old Wente and Robert Young and clone four. And we collectively went around to a bunch of wineries, a bunch of our colleagues and said, what are this some of the top Chardonnay clones that we may have overseen or maybe didn't know about it. And we did our research for a good year. And this is a result of that. And 20%, 10% new oak, depending on the you about 10 to 20% French new oak. The rest is, you know, neutral barrels.
0: It's beautiful. It's really well balanced. And you did say something there, again, not to uh, get into what you paid because that is private, but it is something that is important, I think, for people who are uh, consumers to kind of understand how pricing goes into a bottle. Mm-hmm. right? There are several different factors and you are buying grapes from someone. You There's a lot of cost factors that goes into what you yep. are charging for a bottle. And I think something like that is very important for people to understand, especially when it's small production, you're not getting a ton of yield mm-hmm. um, and you're putting the highest quality fruit out there on the table. Yep. You're not making, you know, it's, it's very easy, I think, to just for example, there's Napa wines out there, Napa Cab you can pick up for 20 bucks. It's mass produced and there's thousands and thousands and some of that fruit's not all coming from the same area. Uh, and then there's very high quality fruit that's, uh, or bottles that, very small production, the highest quality grapes. And that's something that I think is important to point out, especially when we're talking about uh, very small production from Mendocino and, and what you're doing and you're, you're putting the highest quality fruit in the bottle. Yeah, I
1: mean the economics is pretty straightforward. Uh, we have an intruder, I'm um, and we ha- um, we have um, <laughs> the the price point is actually a really interesting metric, and it's pretty pretty dialed in. Which is if you have a eight thousand dollar a ton fruit, it's an eighty dollar bottle of wine, and that's when you're doing your cost of goods, your COGs, you're like basically always kind of keeping in check that things are about in those metrics. So that's
2: including glass cork capsule, or that's including the juice in the bottle. If
1: if, if you're paying. Um, it's like kind of one of those metrics, like if you, if you want to have, you know, if you have to, if you want a $2,000, you know, mortgage, you need to pay you know, five, four times that much. You've heard people, yeah, I need to pick them 8,000 before, you know, gross. It's kind of the same thing. It's this rough guideline. So a $2,000 ton fruit should be about a $20 bottle, a retail SRP, gotcha. a $40, $4,000 a ton fruit should be about 40. Otherwise, you're just not being responsible with mm-hmm. your with your cash, and so this is you know a, this is actually a forty five dollar bottle, and I'm paying about that yeah. much in forty yeah. five hundred. So um, it's it's an easy way to kind of say what what is the cost of an eighty dollar bottle? It's eight thousand dollar fruit, or one hundred twenty dollar one hundred twenty uh, you know twelve twelve thousand um, dollars. And um, I can't speak for five hundred dollar cabernets right. from Napa because yeah. that's a whole another um, another metric that kind of goes out into another category, mm-hmm. but. Um, but yeah, so Chardonnay here, um, 10, 15% new oak, aged for 22 months. Most Chardonnay is aged for as little as, as little as possible, maybe 9, 10 months, and then pop it and put it in the bottle and get it out in the market. But I've committed with Cobb wines now for 22 years is making wines that are of the highest quality. And so I'm doing 22 months in barrel, but not much new oak. You know, 10, 20% new oak, very high quality, tight grain, lightly seasoned, lightly toasted, barrels, very subtle um, barrels, and I pay a little more per barrel, the French oak, new oak barrels I mm-hmm. bring in, um, for a high-quality barrel that can age the wine for a long time without it becoming impacted. You're actually paying for subtlety.
2: And the rest is neutral, Oak? Yeah. And the rest is neutral. Well, that's why it's so damn balanced. I mean, this one is beautiful. I, I mean, I I don't get crazy about Chardonnay, but... It's a really nice wine, it and it's so good. <laughs> it's
0: uh, it's a crowd pleaser. It's not some. It's got mallow to it, but it's not a big butter bomb, right? You're not you're not at uh, at the movie theaters having popcorn. It's a yeah. really nicely balanced. You still get some of that uh, like melon in there. It's just, it's got and some it, nice balance. I, I would to think
2: it. too. It's, it's somewhat ageable. I mean, it seems like there is a little bit more acid in there than it's it's the
1: pH know? of the of a riesling, for example, is three, mm-hmm. which is just you know zip. Um, the pH of this is about 3.2, mm-hmm. and the pH for my Pinot Noir is about 3.4, 3.5, and just to illustrate kind of a ripe, overblown Cabernet in is like 4, Yeah. you know, so that's kind of the range from 3 to 4 pH, and this one's just zippy, yeah, 3.25 or so, it's, um, yeah, but full mallow, and most of what contributes to that kind of buttery, kind of that mallow characteristic, or or even tropical aromatics. Is the climate of the vineyard, so the the microclimate of the vineyard that'll really dictate this, what the resulting wine is. No matter if it's mallow or not, for mm-hmm. sure. There's a lot of m- un- misunderstanding in the in the w- wine industry where people think if it's gone through mallow it's going to be buttery, or if it's but it's actually the microclimate will determine it, how the resulting wine, if you go through malolactic or not,
2: for sure. And with Pinot, same kind of thing. Like Pinot, like you said, location. Mm-hmm. You know, you're exactly you're, the same. Same thing.
1: thing. Same thing with Rhysling. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: All, All right. right. Let's try some. Uh, awesome. What's next? Is this our next say? one here? I didn't. Uh, this I'm one is. I'm Anything glad you, you out, came like to you visit. Miles broke in. You're good.
1: You made it. Good job. Good, good, um, door. And yeah, door, good door skills. To
2: you. <laughs> Sit down. No one wants to hear you.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I'll get you Gotcha. Um, so the next Pinot Noir, or the the first Pinot Noir here, the next wine, is going to be disclosed when I see the label. Uh, Rice Spivak. <laughs> um, so Rice Spivak, as I said earlier, Rice Spivak is a vineyard that we um, that we started working with uh, at Cobb Wines um, in two thousand three. Um, similar stories I'm telling you about. The owners of the vineyard approached me, and uh, you know kind of 2001 which is my first year I started Cobb and they said hey we have this beautiful vineyard that we planted we think so we think you're gonna be happy with the fruit and I said well let's check it out so I drove down to the vineyard with my mother and father back in you know 2001 and said this is a beautiful-looking vineyard let's try it out so I did a one-year trial um, in 2003 was the first year and it was phenomenal so locked it in for a long-term contract now this has been you know what a 19 years I've been working with this vineyard. It's in the Sebastopol Hills area, so very close to the H. Klopp Vineyard site, very close to the Literai um, Winery site, which is their pivot um, Literai Vineyard. It's in those Sebastopol Hills. You have Kanzler Vineyard, you've got the uh, um, Literai Pivot Vineyard, you've got Rice Spivak. There's, it's a lot of open, spaced out vineyards. You know, a lot of vineyards kind of spaced out, you know, evenly throughout this kind of rolling farmland there. Um, volcanic ash soil um, it's uh, got some nice mix of uh, Pinot Noir clones that I uh, that they selected which is Swan clone from Joseph Swan's oh, yeah. winery originally really nice um, express- expressive clone and uh, some Dijon clones six six seven one one five. 115 and um, moving into technical stuff it's a lot of whole cluster you know 50 60 percent whole bunch three four weeks of fermentation lots of you know long cold soak for kind of aromatics and spicy components um also aged for 22 months but not much new oak about 30 percent new oak and i think i did do 300 cases is cases. Tiny.
2: when you say whole cluster just mm-hmm. for everybody who listens like you know is that like stems involved mm-hmm. everything goes in
1: yeah there's a i mean not to discredit people who s- use the word stem inclusion but it's really kind of a misnomer it's it's whole cluster. You basically are using the whole bunch of the grapes, and you layer them on the bottom with the whole cluster first. Maybe a little sprinkle of dry ice pellets to keep it fresh and full of CO2, mm-hmm. and then you can do a different percentage of destemmed, where you pulled off the berries, destemmed fruit, and that percent whole cluster will be the you know 10 percent whole cluster and 90 percent distemmed or 60 percent whole cluster. And then, and what's off, what's happened, which is kind of mind boggling for me is people have said, well, we're looking for the stem component. So people have actually taken the stem and put them in the fermenter. And I'm, and that's not really the point as for me in a winemaker. The point of this whole cluster is it's almost like a time release capsule of sugar. So what'll happen is the yeast will start to ferment the distemmed because it's accessible juice first. And then it'll start breaking into the skins and, and fermenting the berries. So you get this kind of slow start of fermentation, and you also get a slow finish of fermentation because that whole cluster is actually less accessible. For That's the, really interesting. I've never heard yeah, it
0: I've explained heard that, 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 that way. Either. That's very interesting. And
1: so the stemminess or that stem aromatic or texture is yeah, actually not, not my there. goal. That's not right. my intention. That's actually a fault yes. if I get that. So my goal, as you can notice, is 60% whole cluster. My goal is to pick percent whole cluster so it's not noticeable and I'll, but my m- main intention is that carbonic fermentation inside the berry and that slow start and slow finish and it gives you that very very complex and it's something i've learned from i've tasted with over 150 winemakers in burgundy particularly It's become you know kind of an obsession of mine is going to burgundy when i can afford it I used to stay on people's couches now i can stay mm. in hotels you know <laughs> cheap ones but you know um i um but I my research has been a lot of that is, is the, the barrels and the different Coopers and the different, t- you know, forests of, of France that you can select that match your, your wine style. That's a big part of my research when I go. Another big part of it is, is um, drinking great Burgundy. Um, another <laughs> big part of it is, uh, is researching, you know, how much whole cluster you use. Like Nicolas Rossignol taught me an enormous amount and Bruno Claire and all these great winemakers in Burgundy. They teach me how, you know, when do you use whole cluster, when do you not? And, some, and the most important thing for a winemaker is to make to use zero percent whole cluster if you feel like it's not a good year or a good batch or a good you know vintage hmm. and that'll be determined by like late rains or soil that's always fertile or you know water availability all those things will determine if you want to use whole cluster because if you don't pay attention to those you will end up with that kind of stemmy component
0: right so that carbonic that you that you uh, get involved with, is that coming from the dry ice down at the bottom? Because mm. uh, I know a lot of times, like especially something like Beaujolais, right, you're capping the top off. Yeah. Is that something that you're doing as well, or is it coming from? The dry ice is only used
1: for the first few days in the beginning before mm-hmm. the fermentation starts to come on and produce its own carbon dioxide. So dry ice is just used as a temporary um, right. uh, uh, addition of carbon dioxide, not mm-hmm. necessarily um, and then I'm using a lid, but it's not sealed, like, airtight. Right. Even, like, when you do full carbonic, you actually have – it's, like, a pressure cooker mm-hmm. that you're sealing it. And then you have, like, a 25 PSI, like, release point. So it's actually constantly – that's true carbonic. Mm-hmm. I've never really gone that that crazy. That's that's kind of next level. Um, and it, it produces a very, like, carbonic fruit aromatic. Yeah. And I love it, but it's not necessarily my, my intention. Um it's basically carbonic. There's kind of similarly misnomers as there are with like stem inclusion. It's carbonic is also just like fermenting inside the berry, but then the other carbonic is that method of you know pressurized with the CO2. I look at it as mostly mostly lots of carbon dioxide, but then you know whole berry fermentation in the is a, in a, an intact uh, cluster.
2: A whole cluster. It seems as like the way you're fermenting. It seems like so delicate. Like it would seem like it's very delicate on the varietal itself yeah. to make for more of a, a I don't know, maybe a more complex wine because you're not, you know, jabbing it to make it go somewhere. Yeah. You're letting it do it on its own.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, you're right on some ways. Like I'm being delicate, letting it kind of ferment naturally on, you know, native yeast on the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as it starts to ferment, I need to get some exercise, you know, because I'm 52. Mm-hmm. So he's punching it down, down. two, three times <laughs> a day. Mm-hmm. I even like to pump it over to actually stir that liquid to move that liquid, so it's, you don't get pockets of funk mm-hmm. and, and air pockets or, or you know, anaerobic pockets that may be stinky. Mm-hmm. So I like to, I like to turn. So I do one or two punch downs a day, and I'll do one or two pump overs a day, depending on how much air and how much movement that is. So it's just like cooking. You just like how yeah. much, how often should you stir your, you know, pot of soup? You're like, just figure it out. You know, it's kind of intuitive. And so that's kind of the technique. But it's on it. But I'm not. It's not like I'm just passively letting it ferment without touching it. Touching it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? The nose on this is gorgeous. There's, <laughs> it is so there's okay. almost hey, like a, um, <laughs> <laughs> almost like a clove or something. Like there's something uh, a little bit baking spice or something yeah like like maybe a little clove a yeah. little yeah some of that
1: contrary to what i said before is from the whole cluster from that kind of that little bit of that stem it gives that spiciness you mm-hmm. get that clove aromatic but you know it should be subtle some of it can be also um just the the soil you know and the, and the and, you know the microclimate
2: I'm a tea tannin you know that, that's that's something that i get there a little mm-hmm. you know that that little taste of tea on the from the tannin i think i mean Mm. that's what i think it is i don't know i love it yeah very good
1: descriptor and i think i mean most of my wines just to get into the the alcohol conversation you know damn my eyes i can't even read my own label anymore 13.5 alcohol so 13.5 alcohol is awesome that's like if I was to, someone to say, what's your Desert Island alcohol percentage for a wine, yeah, 13, it's five. like 13.5 <laughs> is beautiful. Nothing wrong with 14.2. 14, 14.5 14, yeah. starts to get a little too sweet for my palate yeah. because the alcohol will actually taste sweet, of course. The 12 is fine, but it could be a little lean. <clears throat> and so 13, 13.5 is dynamite.
0: I think that that's, uh, and for people listening to the podcast, I apologize again, I've said it a million times, Pinot Noir, Gamay, those tend to be where I kind of lean into. Uh, it's In Florida, it's hotter than hell, and I don't like those big, fat wines, 14, 5 plus, 15 wines. Yep. I like something a little bit leaner, a little bit more approachable, delicate, elegant wines, <laughs> and this Excuse kind me. of uh, very much speaks to that. Um, it's very light, and and, and there's... Beautiful ageability on this. Uh, what's the vintage on this? This is a baby. This is a
1: 2018, and it's a baby. And it's it, this is current release. Um, as I mentioned before, I age these wines for 22 months, but mm-hmm. I also bottle age them until re- before release for a year or two, sometimes three, three years. My um. You know, similar to like, like a, a Rioja or Ribeiro del where you're like, okay, the you know minimum <laughs> barrel aging is this, and the minimum <laughs> bottle ages is this before release. Very similar, but I have no no one telling me what to do. I just my my I, that's just my um my um my own, Yeah, that's my style. <clears throat> I think I need some more wine. I'm do getting a pop, little dust in you my pop, throat.
2: Do you, I mean, are you popping bottles to, to decide what your next move is? Am I releasing this wine now? Um, or do you, you know you don't have like a well, I'm going to do a, a reserve and right? I'm going to do a year in oak and a year in barrel or I mean you know is it
1: I, I, it's basically for for logistical reasons of course logistics um, I kind of have a pick pick a plan and mm-hmm. because I want you know I want to bottle them all about the same time right. I don't I um I, it's it's a little easier just all, quite honestly I um, I come up with a plan but what I've done over time is I've started off maybe doing 15 16 months in barrel mm-hmm. But I was also using maybe 40, 50% new oak. And they're nice. My first few vintages of wine, oh one oh two, beautiful. I mean, they're still fresh as can be aged very well. But I found them a little too sweet and showy when they're young.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> so what I've done is I've lowered that new new oak percentage. Sorry, I've got some dust in my throat. It's a good excuse to take another sip. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I started experimenting with longer elevage or longer barrel aging, so doing, you know, 19, 20. I even had some colleagues saying, are you worried about your wines? They're going to dry out. They're going to get so oaky at 18. Opposite happened. They started to integrate better, mm. especially when I was only doing about 30, 35% new French oak, mm. the rest neutral. They actually started to become better integrated. And then I started using more subtle, those tighter grain barrels. And they also were opening up into another level of complexity and integration. Elevage is the French word that's used, like, bringing it up to the, you know, elevating it to the gods, if you will. But, like, that's the word. And so Elevage, at 22 months, I found all of a sudden, wow, the wines get better and better and better. And it's counterintuitive. They got less oaky, less impression. Those new barrels, even the new, you're pulling out of one of those new barrels that used that first, first time that year, even those are fully well integrated.
0: Hmm. Do you still have some of your uh, earlier vintage wines or first vintage wines? And how are they drinking right now?
1: Phenomenal. Um, I opened up in my first vintage 01. I had an unfortunate experience. I was giving my good friend a birthday present, a magnum. And somehow it didn't get hot, but somehow the cork started seeping. and And I noticed when I pulled the cork out after I found the seeping, that it had just started to crack a little, like seeped out the side. It was a bad cork at some point. So, I had to open it. And it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. (laughs) And it was uh, 01. So, that was, you know, looking at what, a 23 year old wine and uh, fresh as can be. Didn't show any aging. I blinded it because I had a bunch of my colleague friends with me and I I blinded this wine with a bunch of my colleagues. They're guessing 2012. Mm -hmm. 2009 (laughs) was the closest one that they got. 2015 <laughs> this wine is was not showing any age so yeah that's amazing i'm pretty proud of it a lot of that has to do with the, the natural acidity of the wine the pH being low obviously careful you know handling and of course great you know, great vineyard
0: yeah. wow how are the uh chardonnays aging i would imagine they're doing pretty similar well too right yeah
1: my first chardonnay under cob of course, I have a you know long history with um, flowers and William Sime making, you know, helping make those flowers, uh, William Sime wines and making the flowers wines. Those are still phenomenal. The 05s, 06 607s. but my 09 was the first vintage I made under Cobb. And it's from a vineyard down the road called Joy Road. Similarly, it's just gorgeous. The pH is three point one five, so the pH really helps with that aging. For sure. When people say how do you know why don't California or whatever category, why do, I don't. These wines age. The first thing I say is, which wines? Because wines will age from West Sonoma Coast, Sonoma Coast. They'll age beautifully if you pick a site that has a nice low pH. Yep.
0: And they will age beautifully if that's what the winemaker is trying to do. It seems to be like in uh, the American palate, unfortunately, has kind of driven the world market more towards this pop it and drink it now mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is... Uh, unfortunate, there's not a lot of people hanging on to their wines anymore, but uh, the wines and the winemakers who are still trying to produce that. And don't mistake what I'm trying to say. Out of the bottle right now, these are absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. They're approachable. You can drink them now, but mm-hmm. you can certainly see what it's going to turn into. There's beautiful ageability behind these wines. Thank you. And and
1: that's the goal of, of as a winemaker. My goal as a winemaker is I want to be able to sell it when I need to sell it. Right. <laughs> but I also want it to be aged so 20 years later it's not it hasn't fallen apart. And that's it's a real art to, to make a wine that's accessible young but also knowing it'll age well. And that's just careful careful winemaking and um and you know the craft you know part of the skill of of winemaking of course it sounds obvious once I say it but the one of the most important parts of winemaking is the bottling. And so when you have a a wine that's in the tank and you got to, you're about to bottle, you need to, you know, to bottle a wine, um, this, there's a lot of skill into putting it into the bottle so it's accessible, mm-hmm. young but also aged.
0: Well, that was the problem uh, our friends in Italy had for a long time, right? The, and Barolo and these wines for a long time, they were making wines that you couldn't touch for 20 plus years. And, yeah. you know, the young guard came in and saw that that was a problem, obviously. And now it's a, a little dance that they're trying to do to make it approachable now and something that'll, you know, kind of go a little bit longer.
1: Right. So the next wine we're, ta- we're jumping into is the Docks Ranch. Um, Docks Ranch is a vineyard right next door to Coastlands here, where my family, as I mentioned. Docks Ranch is also at 1,200 feet, three miles from the ocean. Beautiful vineyard site. My neighbors uh, planted this vineyard between 95 and early 2000s. And it's got the same Rice vivac, uh one of the clones that has a swan clone, Calera clone. Also, a bunch of whole cluster, as mentioned, very similar, 50 60%. Mm-hmm. 275 cases um but have have you gotten into the next one yeah
0: yeah, absolutely
2: i already drank mine
1: good 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 work (laughs) that's good
2: (laughs) like that's the thing i I get excited about these wines when i'm tasting through them i am thinking that whole idea of like hey i'm gonna buy these bottles and drink these with my grand my grandson you know Mm -hmm. he's you know he's nine now but you know in you know 10 to seven years i you know i'll open them up with him and and have dinner and yeah you know, celebrate like, you know, your wine with, you know, somebody who couldn't drink wine when I purchased them. Yeah,
1: no, it's great. I mean, the the, the basic goal I have and, and all my colleagues have, and we all have as, you know, industry, wine industry people is buy a case mm-hmm. and then drink a bottle every year for 12 yeah. years, you yeah. know, or, you know, wait three years and then drink a bottle every other year, whatever the, the metric is, but it's a, it's a nice way to collect a wine and, and and just see how it evolves every year, you know, every six months, maybe open a ball bottle. And that's really satisfying as a winemaker. That's, that's what I live for is go, Oh my gosh, I haven't had my 2005 you know, in a while. Let's try it. And you know, and every year it's, it's a, it's a very exciting way to, to collect and drink wine. Um, yeah. So rice, um, rice feedback is beautiful. Doc's ranch, gorgeous. One of my favorite 18 vintage as well. And then when we get into the last one here, this is the, the, uh, the finale and that, this is the um, this is the vineyard uh, that I mentioned that we planted in 1989. The first block, it's called Doc, uh, Diane Cobb, and it's Diane Cobb Coastlands Vineyard. And this is a dedication bottle because I t- mentioned my mother. Mm. I'm gonna have to drink
2: Thank this.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry, I took a hit for the team. Yeah. Um, it, it, the one beauty of these wines, just to brag. Is that twelve and a half to thirteen and a half percent alcohol, which is the range of these? You can actually drink a little more without feeling, you know, it, it they're very they're a lot easier on your body to metabolize. And that's actually medically proven is the metabolization of alcohol from ten to eleven to twelve to thirteen to fourteen is exponentially more difficult for your body. It's like the earthquake scale. Oh. So if you if you're drinking a 14% alcohol wine to a fifteen it's like a thousand times more difficult for your body to metabolize than a one that's 13 to 14. So wow. I, I won't go through the exact metric, but it's it, the science is based on your body. Actually, is, it's a lot easier to metabolize, exponentially more easy for your body to metabolize 12 than it is uh, 13.
2: And 13 hmm. is 14. That's good to know. And I don't think ever, we've ever talked about anything like that no, before. I and that's good for people in, you know, customers and consumers to know because really, I'm a I lead towards wines, European wines. That's yeah. kind of like my thing, and yeah. uh, I like those styles. But um, you know, these wines are in that range of yep. that same, you know, same range as some of those European wines yep. that I drink. Yep. Now so this
0: seems to be to me uh, a little bit, a little bigger, a little more uh, like fruit driven. Uh, no, a little, a little more backbone behind it. Uh, almost like. Um, uh, uh, like Geoffrey Chambertin, right? A little bit more backbone behind what this has got going on. Am I wrong about that? Well, I can't argue with that. Thank you. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I um,
1: The Geoffrey the, the Chambertin reference—I love. My first trip to Burgundy, we—I went to vosne and I was tasting with you know the, the greats in the village, and you know, the kind of where I started and branched out. Rene Leclerc um, and, and those wines the there, and um, and then of course, you know, branching out to Dujac and you know and such. But um, the, what I can say about this wine is that the soil is phenomenal and the vines are 33-year-old uh, vines. Um, uh, there's 18 different clones of Pinot Noir that have been own-rooted, meaning we stuck that Pinot Noir vine and we have a row of each clone. So you can walk down the row and you can taste Jackson 16 and you drop oh. back and you got Martini 13 and, and you walk on. down another way, and you can uh. taste them as they're ripening. And we made a determination to expand Coastlands Vineyard from this original one and a half acres we expanded the vineyard to 14 acres with the information that we gained from this vineyard the idea was my mother diane cobb decided let's do a row as an experiment let's own root it because it's a temporary experiment to learn how we expand our vineyard Mm it's called an expansion block or a nursery block well 12 years into that experiment i started cobb wines and my mother and father are like well we're selling this you know, this this block to William Sion, but you can try, and if you can make a good wine from this block, this is an exact quote, if you can make a good wine from this, then maybe you've got the skill, maybe we'll start, you know, a real label. Oh. And they thought this is that the kind of funky block of the vineyard is this experimental block, all the different clones. And it turned out that 01, as I mentioned, is phenomenal to this day. <laughs> so we never pulled any of those vines out of okay? so Now we have old 33 year old uh, vines own rooted, still to this day, and also, they've been dry farmed for 22 years, cool. which is important in this time of drought and, and yeah. you know, climate change. Absolutely, we have um, most of the vineyards are dry and farmed, but this one has been 22 years without a drop of water except from, from Mother Nature.
2: Wild, yeah, wonderful. So. All the wines are great. Unfortunately, we have another wine tasting to do in like 10 minutes. Awesome. And I, yeah, I know. <laughs> so we don't thing. get to just taste them. Everybody coming here gets to taste. Love it. Well, that's so awesome.
1: Great. Well, thank you.
2: Ross Cobb, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good, good to be, uh, Cheers, guys. Good to be back in the cellar here. <laughs> Cheers.